Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Vessalatu vesselamu alel mab'uthi rahmeten lil alemin. Ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve barakatuhu ve selleme teslimen kathiran ila yevmiddin. Amma ba'd. Kala Allahu tebaraka ve teala fil Kur'anil Mecidi vel Furkanil Hamid. Zalika mimma awha ileyke rabbuka minel hikme. Ve la tec'al ma'allahi ilahen ahar. Fetulka fi cehenneme melumen medhura. Brothers and sisters, uh, dear listeners, uh, today uh, in our third part of the Hell Revealed uh, series, inshallah, we're going to be discussing today uh, two, two different things. Um, the first thing we're going to try to understand is that how much fear should a person have? You know, I've had people come and they've, they have so much fear that it's actually debilitated them. They're having bad dreams. They actually, I've, I, there was one person who was unable to even get out of bed. And it was just this intense amount of fear. Now, fear is important because that is one of the wings of the two birds, uh, of the one of the wings of the bird uh, of uh, Iman. You know, to be able to carry on with our faith and to be able to do something with it, we need fear and hope. And I, as, I, as we said in the previous uh, parts, that generally hope dominates and uh, that becomes actually detrimental for a person so fear needs to be there as well a healthy amount of fear but what is that healthy amount of fear and um, excess of fear is a massive problem because that really really is an issue so we're going to discuss today inshallah the first thing we're going to discuss is what is the healthy amount of fear that's necessary healthy amount of fear healthy amount of hope and then there are other ingredients as well that are important for us to be able to maintain our faith and be able to be working um, uh, faithful individuals uh, in in this world and not be debilitated with an extreme amount of something or the other. Uh, inshallah, that's going to be then followed by how other people have experienced fear. And there'll be various different anecdotal stories in there about people with excessive amount of fear moderate amount of fear a necessary amount of fear and inshallah we can learn from them right because it shows you how other human beings can be so fearful and essentially we you know we we can understand from what with their achievements that this fear was definitely useful for them so let us start off with a quote from abdullah ibn al-mubarak uh, rahimahullah who is one of the great tabi'in um, or um, what one of the great uh, scholars of the past amazing scholar amazing scholar so he relates, he says, Umar ibn Abdul, Umar ibn Abdul Rahman ibn Mahdi uh, related uh, or told him that he heard Wahb ibn Munabbih saying that there was a, a statement of a wise person. He doesn't mention the wise person, but he basically says the following. Now, this is the really interesting part. He says, Inni la astahi min Allahi azza wa jalla an a'budahu raja'a thawab al jannah. I am extremely embarrassed in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I worship him with the hope of the rewards of paradise. Right? So in such an extreme way that I become like that really bad employee that really spoilt, bad, mean employee 
who if he's given something, if he's given a payment, if he's given perks or whatever, he works. And if he's not given anything, then he does not work. So he said, I'm really, really embarrassed in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I worship him just for the sake of the reward of paradise and be like that employee who only works because he earned something from it. Otherwise, he's not willing to work. And then he says, I'm also embarrassed in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I worship him out of fear for hellfire. Now, you, I mean, many of us may be thinking, but that's exactly why we worship him. That's exactly why we pray, because we're fearful of the hellfire. So what's going on here? So this is just a case study that I'm providing, I'm putting forward. Then we're going to discuss this. So he says, I'm embarrassed in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I worship him out of fear for the hellfire. So then I become again like that really bad employee, right? That really bad slave rather in this case, like a slave who has to do the work, right? That if he's scared of the master watching him, then he does work. And if he's not scared and because the master is not watching him, whatever, he does not work. So he only works because of the stick. They only work because they're going to be beaten up, because they're going to be told up, because they're going to be persecuted, because they're going to be punished in some way. He says, I'm embarrassed in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to worship him for the sake, just because of hellfire, out of fear for the hellfire. So what is going on here? I am embarrassed to worship Allah out of hope for paradise, the reward of paradise, and out of fear for punishment of the hellfire. So what's going on here? And then he said, that really it's the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that has been able to extract from me, that has been able to extract from me that nothing else has been able to extract anything like that from me. Meaning the power of the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from me is really what matters. Right? That is able to make me do those things which nothing else can make me do. So essentially what he's saying is, I'm embarrassed to do it just out of fear. I'm embarrassed to do it just out of hope. But it's really the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that makes me do what I what I do. And there's nothing else that can make me do what the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do. So Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak has quoted this, rahimahullah. And basically in here, um, what he's basically doing is that he is really criticizing worship purely just for hope. Uh, just uh, just out of uh, hope uh, for paradise or just out of fear for hellfire. Now, as long as that's the case, that is completely fine. That gives us an understanding. Now, we're on our road to understand this issue. Now, I'll give you a few other quotes and then we'll put it into perspective as Ibn Rajab al-Hambali has done for us. There's another one of the pious predecessors. He says that whoever worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just out of hope, then he is actually a murjit. Right? I'll explain that. And the one who worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just because he's fearful, then that person is a haruri. Now, murji is an antinomian. Basically, th there was a group before and there still exist these people in a generic sense. Those people who really don't give action and deeds and good deeds and avoiding haram much value. They think as long as you're a mu'min brother, as long as you're a faith, per faithful person, as long as you believe, as long as you've got in the heart and you're a nice person, you'll go to paradise. That kind of an attitude. So anybody who does it just out of hope, that kind of an attitude is dominant and it's lopsided. Likewise, he said, anybody who worships for the fear of Allah, he's a haruri. Haruri are essentially um, an indication towards the uh, an indication towards the khawarij, the extreme khawarij. Basically, people who used to consider that any major sin committed by any, anybody 
took them to hellfire right so they came from a place called harura some of them came from a place called harura so they called haruri in the early days that's what they were referred to extreme pietist extreme in that sense you know and likewise you know we've had isis and that you know of that kind of a mentality right they just it's all about fear then he says then uh, the same uh, the, the, the same pious priest says he says woman whoever worships allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purely out of love now now you see we'd introduce the concept of love this is the third component but he's saying that anybody who worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purely out of love and nothing else, and there's no fear and there's no hope as well to balance that, but who is zindiqun, then that person is going to become a heretic. That person is going to become heterodox. He's going to lose his faith. He's going to have some deviant ideas. Then he said, to conclude, he said, so whoever worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with fear, with hope, and with love, then he is a muwahidun mu'min. He is the monotheist and the true believer. And the reason for this, he says, is that it is actually necessary in our deen. It is necessary, right? And this is, inshallah, refined understanding of this, right? From Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali. He says the reason why this statement rings very true is because it's necessary for the believer, right? That they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all three reasons, not exclusively one of them, because that becomes lopsided and extreme, right? So, why is that? Love, fear, and hope. It's necessary to have all of them. That is the reason. It's necessary. And if anybody has a shortcoming in any one of those things, right, that means he's actually going to be in, uh, violating or he's going to have a shortcoming in one of the wajibat, one of the obligations of faith. So, it's an obligation of our faith. Maybe nobody told us it this way, but it's an obligation of our faith of the reason why we worship you see constantly from our young age we've been told to worship that's instilled in us pray salat give you know do fasting avoid this and avoid that we've been told that thing but in terms of the the thought process behind it the motivation behind it i don't think that's discussed as frequently i don't think i d i don't even remember that being discussed with me as much that look you need to be between fear hope and love the driving force should be the love. Some have said that it's like a, like a bird for it to be able to fly in a balanced way. Both wings of it need to be have stability and need to be balanced, right shape uh, and equal, you know, with a with the equilibrium be between them. And then you have the head and the placement and everything. So it's like the <clears throat> the two wings are the hope and the fear. They both need to be balanced. If you have more, it's going to be lopsided. And the head is what's guiding it, which is the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I've never had that described to me when I was much, much younger. And I think if we could explain this to even our children, I think it will, you know, to bring up into the minds of our children the concept of love of Allah, the concept of fear, because they're going to hear about hellfire. Hellfire, you know, every Muslim knows about it. So it's like it's something to avoid. It's something to be fearful of. And then there's a hope of paradise. So that's instilled. But I think the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala idea, that component is missing. Now, what he says is <clears throat> all of these three are necessary. And they're part of the obligations of the deen, of our iman, actually. It's what makes us truly believers for, for us to have this. Now, what this indicates, what this entire statement and this analysis indicates is that out of all of the three, which one do you think, right, has to be the most dominant which one do you think must be dominant is it the fear is it the hope or is it the love 
is the love. The love has to be dominant. You know, there could be more of the love. There can't be more of the fear or the, especially in a normal case, you can't have more of the more of the fear or more of the hope. In certain circumstances, that's okay. But on a general level, on a in a normal circumstance, on a default state, you need more love because that will constantly guide you. Now, <clears throat> let's bring in another opinion of Fudail ibn Iyad, rahimahullah, another amazing individual. And what's interesting is both Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak and Fudail ibn Iyad, they came from really bad beginnings, meaning in their youth, they really had messed up. One was a high man, the other one was like an indulgent youth, you know, just enjoying life, uh, drinking and so on. They both repented sincerely, right? They both repented and they became some of the greatest scholars that today after uh, 1200 years, you know, more than 1200 years, 250 years or so, we actually benefiting from their experience and their statements. So uh, the door of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always open for repentance, subhanAllah. So Fudayr ibn Iyad says, Al-Mahabbatu afdalu min al-khawf. Right? If we could look at these three ideas, love is actually more virtuous to have and it's more meritorious to have than the fear. And he mentioned the opinion of that same Hakim, that same wise individual who had clarified the above. And then Yahya ibn Mu'adh, another great individual of the past, he says, Has, how much fear do you need now? So you see, I'm trying to pull in statements from these different people to kind of give us a rounded understanding. So how much fear do you need? And how much love do you need? So he's saying, Hasbuka min ma yamna min You just need that much fear that's going to stop you from doing sins. That's all the fear that you need. If you've got enough fear that you stop sin and you like stand and you say, no, I can't do this. That's enough. If it goes beyond that, it's a problem. Okay. What do you mean by going beyond that? I'll explain. Right. But if you have enough fear that stops you from sinning, every time you feel like sinning and the fear of Allah overcomes you, that's enough. However, he said there can be no end. There can be no sad, you know, there can be no amount which is sufficient um, of love, meaning you can have lots of love. Love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be abundant. Right. There's no limit to the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as long as you've got the others with. If it's just purely love of Allah without any idea of uh, fear and, and, and then that's a problem, like as we said earlier as well. When it comes to uh, so when it comes to love, you can have an abundant amount in there that can dominate the other two. But when it comes to fear and hope, then the majority of Salaf, the majority of our pious predecessors and our ulama, they say that they should be balanced. They should be equal. None of them should be more than the others, except in certain cases, except in certain cases, like towards the end of death. That's why uh, Mutarrif ibn Abdullah and Hassan al-Basri, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, rahimahumullah, these are the big names in this subject who've discussed this in depth. They they all say the same thing, right? But then there are there is a minority who actually say that, no, it's always best to have a bit more, a bit more fear than the hope. And this comes from Sulaim, uh, Fudayl ibn Iyad and Abu Sulaiman al-Darani rahmatullahi alayhi. Right? Their opinion is that you have to have that much more, that much more fear because that will be useful. Wuhayb ibn al-Ward says, don't be like that laborer, right? That employee, that laborer who somebody, you know, who the employer says to him, uh, do this and that. So he says, okay, I'll do it. As long as you give me a good pay right now there's no problem with being a laborer like that to be honest 
because people do it for pay you know why would you i mean it's obviously being altruistic you know to to be uh, do something for, from your own heart for someone that's probably better but i don't think there's a problem with saying look give me the pen i'll do the work for you because that's generally what people you know pay for as long as you're not mean about it right essentially what he's saying is that even if the work is beneficial like you're working for a masjid and you still say like just give me the money then i'll do it right he's saying that the idea is to criticize the idea that you're not looking at the beauty of the work itself or whom you're doing the work for right that with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you can't work just for money you have to do it for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is a description of why we need to do things for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is detailing why we need to do something for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not just purely for the sake of the fear or for the sake of paradise, to avoid hell and to do paradise. Why? Because number one, if you look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if anybody fears um, and, and only does good deeds because of paradise, it means they've not really recognized the status of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, they've not really recognized Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Reason is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is entitled to worship intrinsically speaking. He is intrinsically entitled. He has intrinsic entitlement to worship. He is worthy of worship just because of who he is. That's why he should be obeyed and he should be loved purely because of who he is and what he's done for us. Not because he's going to give us paradise or he's warned us of hellfire. That is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his status demands. His work, his work for us demands and his kindness demands. It is necessary for us to try to get close to him, to find means to get to him. And we should do this without thinking about the fact that he's going to reward us or that he's going to punish us. Right. So there is a, a poem which says, Habil lam ta'tina rusluh, nari lam tudrimi, alaysa min al wajibi Basically, if we've never been told about resurrection, that we're going to have to stand up in the hereafter or about the hellfire and its blaze and everything else, wouldn't it still be obligatory just by, you know, human gratitude aspect that we thank the one who has gifted us so much, right? That's the idea here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just think about Allah. He deserves this for himself because of what he's done for us, all the kindness that he's shown us. So the indication from here you get is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's benevolence, his gifts upon us and all that he's done for us upon his servants, that is what necessitates that we thank him and that we are, you know, we exercise chastity and modesty in front of him. Right. And this is exactly what the Prophet ﷺ indicated towards, right, with his own action that he would stand at night until his feet would swell up for hours and hours, even though he'd been forgot, forg forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His previous sins and if, if he ever even, you know, hypothetically, uh, were, uh, you know, could have committed sins in the hereafter, uh, you know, in, in later life, even after he makes that dua. It would have been forgiven for him because of the special status that he enjoyed. But he still would stand there because he knows that this I'm doing because Allah deserves this from me. I'm not doing it for any other reason, but it's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves this from me. That's why he said, Afala akun abdan shakura. Shouldn't I just be a grateful servant because of everything that he's given from me? So you see, when you look at it from that perspective, this makes, starts making sense. 
another consideration that they have, um, even if we say fear is a good thing, but then if we look at fear, the one that we should, the thing we should be fearful of, the most complete fear, most intense fear, right, ha and hope can only be that which is associated with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that fear of Allah and hope from Allah, not from any other created being of and hell and paradise are created beings. Our fear of Allah must be greater than our fear for any created being, which is uh, which is hellfire, for example. So, why is that? Uh, let me let me open that up and let me unpack that a bit. It says the highest form of fear is what in a human being for a believer, for a Muslim, for a mu'min. The highest form of fear should be this, right? That they, that the that the slave of Allah fears the anger of Allah being veiled from Allah, being prevented from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? That is what they should fear more than anything else. You know, forget paradise, forget hellfire. They should be fearful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to turn away from them on the day of judgment. He's gonna, there's going to be a veil between them. They won't be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he's going to be angry with them. They should be more fearful of that. And where we understand this, if you look at the verse in the Quran in Surah Al-Muttafifin, verse 15 and 16, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Nay, they on that day will be veiled from their Lord. Then they will enter into the hellfire. So the first part of this is actually that they will be veiled from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After that is when they're sent to hellfire. So if you're if we're veiled from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's already, you know, that is the worst thing that's already happened. Hellfire comes afterwards. So this gives us an indication that that is actually what's more important. Now, Dhunnun, the Egyptian, Al-Misri, it says, Subhanallah. For him, he said, Allahu Akbar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us this kind of fear. He said the fear of hellfire, right? Which we consider to be what we should have, right? The fear of hellfire, right? Comparatively to the fear of being separated from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just like a drop in a tumultuous ocean. There's no comparison. The fear from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're going to be veiled from him, our creator, our beloved, right? Believers should be most ardent in their fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That should be much more of a concern. Then he explains, he said, likewise, the highest hope that you should have should be attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, i.e., hope for his satisfaction, hope to experience the beatific vision in the hereafter, to be able to see him and to be close to him. Right? That is what he says should be the highest hope, right? more, more than just paradise. Now, this is where we're going to try to put into perspective. Many of you, right? I've heard these so many times. And subhanallah, I really pray for Ibn Rajab al-Hambali rahimahullah has clarified this for us. Right? We've heard so many statements about people who are dominated by fear. And then they've made statements like, um, 
don't worry about paradise. Don't worry about hellfire, meaning don't be fearful of hellfire at all. And some have even made statements like, I, as long as Allah is happy with me, I don't, I, I don't even mind being in hellfire. As though saying that hellfire is not a problem at all. Now, these are all exaggerations. So you we may have heard these statements. They work to encourage us sometimes, but they're actually uh, exaggerations. And I'll show you how Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali has explained this. It's amazing, right? How he's put those in perspective. Those are temporary statements that are made by people in a certain state. They've been overcome by this uh, hope or fear at, the, at those moments, right? Uh, a love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at those moments, and they've just become blinded to everything else. So let me explain that. So Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali says, he says that there's some people who've made a mistake in this regard, right? They think that all of this, right, is got nothing to do with the meaning, looking at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, being close to him, visiting him, and all of these things. They somehow have divorced that from paradise. But actually, all of these things are part of paradise. Because it's in paradise that all of these things are going to happen. So how are you going to, how do you, uh, divorce paradise from these things and say only that is necessary right only that is important whereas it's in paradise that these things are going to happen right these things cannot be ever separated they're all part of it and likewise being veiled from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right that is essentially what's going to happen to the people of hellfire so it's part of being in hellfire that is going to veil you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they both go hang, hang in, hand in hand. Now there's another aspect here, which is that if it is stated that whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, now it, you have to have a lot of concentrate. These are not stories. And this is really trying to unravel this really complex idea of how much fear. And inshallah, it'll all come together, right? So what we're doing right now is we're basically just trying to understand where these statements come from, these so-called extreme statements sometimes. So the second thing we have to understand, if it is said that whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared in hellfire, right, of the various different types of punishments, right, they are things that some of these pious predecessors did not fear, right, because we heard that statement. Likewise, all of those bounties of paradise, you know, the gold and silver bricks and the mortar of musk and the hurul in and uh, the gardens and the lushness and the greenery and the rivers and all of that, that what we've heard from some of these people is that um, they do not consider this to be, you know, very important. They consider just the love of Allah to be imp important. Right? The, so the idea is that it's not actually correct or even accurate to say that these people who, who may have made these statements actually don't love paradise. Or that they're actually not fearful of hellfire. No, they are fearful of hellfire. And they actually do love paradise. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's so much in the Quran and Sunnah that tells us about these things. That you must fear hellfire. That you must hope for paradise. And you must hope for that. So how can these people not have that, what the Quran is telling them to do? So that, that's why we have to really understand what they're saying. Number two. All of this is actually also against the fitrah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the nature, the disposition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created human beings on, right? Which is that um, humans normally, they are going to have hope for those things which they, which excites them, which are good, 
which seem familiar, which are aspects of joy. And they're going to obviously have a dislike for things that, you know, are scary and frightened. So then why have these why have these statements been made then that kind of diminish the idea of hell completely or the importance of it or whatever and it's just all about allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what is going on here how do we put that in perspective so this is ibn rajab al-hanbali's thesis he says that all of this whenever you've heard that statement from anyone it is a statement that they've actually done during an elated state uh overcome state a state of spiritual intoxication you can call it Right, that they've just completely immersed in this idea of love or whatever it is, and it, it's just overcome their normal intellectual capacity. So they've made these statements. That's essentially what where, where this is coming from. However, he says that all of these people, when they actually come out of that state, then they you will find out that they have the same hope like everybody else does. More maybe in an intense amount. But they have the same hope as everybody else does. So let's give you an example of this. He says, when the people of paradise enter paradise, right? This is a very, very, very graphic, very intense, uh, you know, interesting example. He says that when the people of paradise will enter paradise, and as you know, every Friday Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is going to invite people to uh, to see Him, to get to receive the vision, the beatific vision, right? And they're going. To, that's called the Yawm al-Mazid, right? The day of uh, addition the day of extra the day of uh, um, of gaining something uh, above what you already have now remember in paradise they'll be enjoying themselves they'll have everything they can imagine but they will look forward to this friday right and that is going to be superior for them than everything that they've that they they're enjoying throughout the week right so they're going to look forward to this now what happens is that when they actually go there and they have this special vision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that will make them forget every single bounty and pleasure and joy of paradise that they had experienced before this. They've experienced it, right? They've been experiencing it the whole week. But now when they go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's going to be so amazing. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. It's going to be so amazing. It's going to make them forget about paradise, all the other aspects of paradise. They'll... If somebody even said, here, do you want some of this or do you want some of this in paradise? They would not even turn towards it, right? Because why? They don't want to be veiled from Allah. They don't want to get distracted from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by these things. That's why none of that matters anymore. They would actually consider at this point, they will actually actually consider every single joy of paradise to be insignificant. While they're looking at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because everything else pales in significance to that. Right? And you, you'll see this mentioned in the hadith about that experience in paradise uh, about that. Now, if at that time as well, when they're enjoying their meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're, they're frightened, they are threatened by a punishment of the hellfire, they, it wouldn't matter for them. Right? Even if they were probably put into the fire, it wouldn't matter for them because the experience is like no other. It's totally beyond anything that they would exp uh, they could experience. So they wouldn't even experience pain. That's how engrossed they will be. That's how involved they will be in this. That not even a, they wouldn't even be pained even if they were punished at that moment. All they're worried about is that this vision should not stop. 
this experience of mine should not end. I want to continue this. Now, obviously, the day ends and they have to go back to their abodes in paradise, their palaces, their mansions, their estates in paradise. When they go back, now that experience is finished. So now they start acclimating to paradise again. And they see the joys and beauties and they start using it. It's, I mean, I, I don't know how we can explain this, but maybe saying like you go to a five-star resort, right? At that moment, you know, you don't care about somebody's telling you about, you know, um, somebody bought a new uh, bed for you or something like that at home. You're going to think, man, this bed in this five-star resort is much better than what I'm going to buy at home maybe, right? So you won't even care about it. It's like, oh, big deal, whatever. I'll talk about it later. However, when you finish your time on your holiday and you've come back, right? Now you're going to start in, you know, you're going to have to start enjoying what you have around you because that's a special state. You didn't, you don't have that anymore. That was temporary state. You're going to start enjoying this again. You're, you're going to start indulging again in what you have with you. So they will start indulging in paradise again. But because they know of that experience, they're always going to be looking out for it. So the next week when they go back again, Right. And remember, that's the time when they actually when they come back, they actually come back more handsome or beautiful than they were the week before. So they're actually increasing in beauty all of this time. But their main maqsad is that just that vision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they get to enjoy. So that's essentially what happens for them. So now that's an example, right? That's an example of paradise. But this is a very similar example for us to understand what happens to some people who have the gnosis of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who are immersed in 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 the awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their love for him what happens is that when they start feeling the lights and the rays from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to give them the special uh, the special attention and they start to feel Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their heart you know the, his special attention right this is so amazing for them right this is so amazing for them this gives them an understanding of what they're going to get in paradise on those Fridays. It's like that kind of a parable, right? They're getting a special, mashallah, special experience with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So at that time, they don't care about anything which is around them. Everything pales in significance. In fact, paradise pales in significance. They've not been to paradise here, but they're like, this is what I want. I want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't want paradise. I don't care about paradise. So it makes them forget the beauties of paradise and the bounties of paradise. And that all becomes insignificant for them. right? Their love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes all of this pale in significance. Now at that time again, th their only fear is that they're not prevented from this vision that they're having of this experience that they're having with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this special attention that they are enjoying at that point. They don't want that to end. So they're like, forget health, I don't care about that. This is what I'm worried about. However, these, this state generally doesn't last forever, right? Some people actually do become dominated for a longer time, but most people, they, it won't last forever. So now when they come back and they've got their rational faculties back, right? And the, the dominance of this state has kind of left them. And now they're left with everything around them and their deen and everything. Now, obviously, the next best thing is, hey, we need paradise and we need to stay away from hellfire. So they will go back to fearing hellfire and hoping for paradise. These same people who may have uttered in that state 
a statement that made paradise totally insignificant and hellfire insignificant it was because of the state of their experience but now when they're back to normal then they will also have the hope for paradise and they should have because it's part of the deen to hope for paradise and to fear hellfire another aspect of this which is kind of deep this is the last point to clarify all of this is that these people the knowers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they can observe and they can see behind right they can see beyond the facade so what they're seeing is that hellfire actually right hellfire comes from nothing but the revenge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so it's an attribute of Allah in that sense meaning it's one of the uh, it, it's something from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so if it's hellfire then it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala anyway right because it's an effect of Allah's work and when you see the effect of anyone, you will see the signature of the, the, the manufacturer, the maker. And that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Jahannam and hellfire for them is essentially just evidence and an indication towards the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his ability to seize and punish and the strength that he has to be able to avenge whoever he wants and his enemies. That's what they see in hellfire. There's no way that if you look at hellfire, it can't remind you of Allah because it's him. That's his craftsmanship. That's his tool that he's going to use. So the fear, what they've seen is that they've not stopped there. You see, for us, we may just stop at hellfire like, oh, I'm fearful of hellfire. Now, these people, because they have awareness of Allah and they see Allah in everything, they, they see Allah's effect in everything. When they see fire, when they think of hellfire, they see Allah. They think about Allah. So they're not fearful of the hellfire for the sake of the hellfire, but because they're fearful of Allah, because that hellfire just signifies the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's amazing. So don't fear just hellfire for the sake of the hellfire, but fear hellfire for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should be fearing Allah and hellfire is just a just a symbol of that idea it's a real thing it's not that it's made up or it's just a symbolic idea but it's just a symbol of that in terms of the way we look at it today subhanallah so their fear of it then of hellfire in reality is actually a fear of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's just them considering allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be behind everything right uh, it's them uh, essentially glorifying the, the the various different attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by which he's created this really frightful Jahannam. And obviously that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created hellfire, to cause fear, right? To give something that people can fear, right? Uh, among his servants, so that they can fear him as well. The one who fears hellfire should actually be the one who fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the way the fear of them works. So just to conclude now, when you hear these statements, then the idea of these statements is that they've generally said it in a state of being overwhelmed and overcome of a special witnessing that they're going through. So then everything else pays in. So well, who cares about hellfire at that moment? And who cares about paradise at that moment? Because they're experiencing something even greater. I guess if we experience the same thing, we'd have the same experience as well. Right. We'd, we'd say the same thing. But generally, that doesn't stay for long. Some people, you know, subhanAllah, they may never come out of it or whatever, but generally they come out of it and then they it's back to normal, right? Just like every believer, there is a fear of hellfire. There is a hope for paradise. 
But at the end of the day, when you hope for paradise, it's actually hope for the mercy of Allah, for the vision of Allah, which is going to be the ultimate. See, when people are go to when people go to paradise and they get everything and they get everything they ask for and they're going to be told to give a list and they're going to be given that and much, much more. And, you know, they're just going to be uh, for, for, uh, for so many months or years. They're just going to be just looking around and just mesmerized by what they have. And it's just abundance. It's never ending. All right. That's paradise. And you can. Listen to the lectures on that called the delights of paradise if you want. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to approach them and say, are you all happy? Have you been given everything you were promised? He said, absolutely. Do you need anything more? No. Right. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to say to them that, okay, from now on, I'm actually happy with you and satisfied with you and I will never be angry with you again. That they say is going to be so much more joy than everything that they've experienced or they think they can experience. Then after that, even more, when they actually go for these visits to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every week when they see him, that's going to be the ultimate thing. So remember, at the end of the day, paradise is just a place where this ultimate pleasure is going to take place. So paradise is not our goal. It's actually the goal is that we witness Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, when you understand that, you start seeing how important Allah is. If that's the ultimate goal, you know, a lot of people think ultimate goal, paradise. But paradise, the ultimate goal, the, the penthouse in paradise the main event in paradise are those weekly events with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you see now how important Allah is and how insignificantly we treat him in the world? Allah forgive us. Allah forgive us. We're willing to do sin, avoid sins in front of others we can see, but we're unwilling to avoid sins in front of Allah because we can't see him, but we know he's there. We want to praise people who we can see and glorify them but we don't glorify Allah our lovers of this world they 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 plague our minds right it becomes debilitating sometimes but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't whereas that's who we should be because that's what he says now can you see why it's so important to connect yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because even paradise right the main event of it is about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, hopefully you've all understood. Uh, hopefully that makes it very clear for us. Now, I'm just going to just mention a few things about how much fear we should have. And then we'll end this just to introduce for next week, inshallah. How much fear should have, should a person have? Now I said, the amount of fear that a person should have is that much which encourages us and moves us and forces us right to fulfill the obligations and to stay away from the haram now if i look at myself if everybody looks at themselves and judges themselves do i have that kind of fear that i do all the deeds that i'm supposed to do okay maybe i do do all the deeds that i'm supposed to do but to also avoid all the prohibitions is do I have that fear? No, I don't. That means I need to inculcate more fear. That means we don't have sufficient fear. It's a simple test. If we're doing sins and the fear is not preventing us, right? Then we need to get more fear. It's really that simple, I think. However, if somebody, mashallah, does have that kind of fear, and then it increases beyond that. Now, if it increases beyond that, there's another level which is fine, right? Even beyond just avoiding the harams and doing the obligations. There's another level 
which is, hey, I need to do more nawafil so I can stand a better chance of staying away from hellfire. I need to do more obediences, like optional obediences. And I need to also avoid even undesirable things, not just haram things, but undesirable things, because subhanAllah, I don't, I don't want to risk it. I don't want to take that gamble. That fear is there. Right? I don't want to take that gamble. It's not worth it. I'm not bold enough to take that gamble. Then that additional element is very praiseworthy. That much more fear is good, actually. That's actually very meritorious. Now, if it goes beyond that now, and it creates in you a sickness that you actually become sick, you become depressed, or it kills somebody, or it creates intense amount of anxiety, immense amount of grief and worry, right? And so much concern, right? That actually stops you from even doing good deeds. SubhanAllah, I've seen this. This is what I'm saying. Like, how can fear stop you from doing good deeds? That's what happens to some people. They get so fearful that they actually become despondent. The fear overtakes them, so they become kind of hopeless, right? And the shaitan really plays a massive part in this. That's when shaitan takes over the fear, right? And creates so much fear, he kind of aug augments it, you can say. He kind of just auxiliarates it in a way that you actually stop doing deeds because you just think like, I can't, it, it's a really weird, Allah Ta'ala protect us from this. It's really weird. That is not going to be praiseworthy. That's going to be debilitating. That's why, for example, there was a person, Sheikh Ata As-Sulami. Many of the Salaf of his time were very, very worried about him because he had such intense fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he actually forgot the Quran. He'd memorized the Quran. He actually forgot how to read the Quran. And he actually become bedridden because of his amount of, amount of fear. Can you believe it? And the reason for this is that fear is not something that is intrinsically sought for itself. Fear is not like, hey, I need to have some fear. I need to get more fear, right? For the sake of fear itself. Fear is just the tool. Fear, we need it for extrinsic reasons, not for its reason itself. It's just the whip. It's just the, the stick, basically, by which the one who's a bit lazy and uh, who, who, who's, who's not very active in doing good deeds, it's just... It's just a stick to basically get them going. See, hellfire, this tells us something else now. If the fear of the hellfire is just a stick, a deterrence, now that deterrence is a good thing, right? Because if it's deterring us from going to our destruction and from becoming losers in the hereafter, that means that fire, the hellfire, is actually from one of the bounties and gifts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The hellfire is actually a gift of Allah because it's a deterrence. I'm so glad that there's a deterrence. Otherwise, I would be committing these acts. That's what people will say. I'm so glad that there's, uh, this is illegal. Otherwise, I'd be doing this. This is what stops me. This a vice is not illegal in this country, but this vice is illegal in this country. So I do this because I'm scared of the, uh, I'm, I, you know, and I don't do this because I'm scared of the law, but I'm not scared of Allah. So in that sense, actually, hellfire is actually one of the bounties and ni'mas of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that people can, that's what helps to create the obligatory fear in a person. That's why. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has counted it as a bounty. Allah has called it a bounty. And do you know where? In Surah Al-Rahman. Right? 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has actually counted it as a bounty upon the jinn and the human being. That's why Sufyan ibn Uyayna rahimahullah said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created hellfire as a mercy by which he threatens his servants so that they stop, so that they can abstain. He called it a mercy. Because the original, you know, the, the, the main obligation, what? It's not fear. The main obligation is the obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This hellfire just helps us to from being distracted. That's all it is. So it's just one of the bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's just a tool. So we've learned several things today, mashallah. And may Allah reward Ibn Rajab al-Hambali for this. That hellfire is there as a tool, as a bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To keep us away and it is something we need to fear because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of it so the reason we fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so that the, the reason we fear hellfire is because we actually fear Allah and the reason we hope for paradise is because of what we're going to get in paradise so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow this to settle in our hearts and to understand this in the correct way and for it to be fruitful and beneficial and for it to benefit us inshallah we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you uh, for the coming part of your life and may Allah assist us and help us and give us the required amount of fear and hell, uh, fear of hellfire and the hope for paradise. But ultimately may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us an increased amount of his love to really balance these things out.